today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Be reasonable. Let's reason together. You've been found guilty. Your sins as scarlet. Let's reason together. I want to make them white as snow. I want to remove them as far as the east is from the west. Can we settle this? Can we reason together? I'm a just God, but I'm a merciful God, and I'm a loving God, and I love you so much. Today, Pastor J.D. wants you to know just how much Jesus loves you. Yes, He is a God of justice and judgment, but at His core is His long-suffering and grace toward you. He said that He didn't come to judge but to save and to give you life everlasting. Because of His love and mercy, you can trust Him. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the Inspired in Truth podcast or download the Inspired in Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Isaiah chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, you are an awesome God. We are in awe of you. Lord, your goodness to us, your love for us, your kindness, your gentleness, your long-suffering, your patience. Lord, there's no way this side of glory that we in the English language is faulty as it is, could ever find the words to even begin to express how much we love You, how much we worship You and praise You and desire to please You. Tonight, Lord, we're here in this beautiful church building that You gave us to do just that. We've just had that time to worship You and lift up our voices to You. And now we want to open up our hearts to You and ask You, Lord, to speak into our lives, in and through Your Word. Lord, a word fitly spoken, that's so clear, unmistakably so, that it's You speaking directly, personally, if need be, confidentially to us through Your Word tonight, especially for any who are really hurting tonight, who just need hope, who just need encouragement. Lord, will You now, as only You can, minister to us by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. All right, so beginning here in chapter 2 of Isaiah, we're going to read this vision that was given to Isaiah. And in chapter 2, it's about what we often refer to as the kingdom age, that millennial reign, that 1,000 year period of time where we rule and reign with Christ, seated on the throne with Christ during 
this kingdom age on earth, and get this, earth will be what it was like pre-fall. If you just kind of wrap your mind around that. We're going to have our glorified bodies, but the earth will be like it was at the time that Adam and Eve were in the garden. And man will live that long. And there will be those who will, as we'll see tonight and talk about tonight, make it through the seven-year tribulation and enter into the millennial kingdom age, that millennial reign, that 1,000-year period of time. And it's going to be a glorious time. Um, it's going to be a time of, as some refer to it, enforced righteousness, where we rule and reign with Christ. Now, where's the enemy during this time? Very interesting. He's actually in the bottomless pit. You know what's interesting about the bottomless pit? It's bottomless. Yeah, very good. Very deeply profound, I know, for a thousand years. And even more interesting is, we're told that an unnamed angel, just one, which should tell you something, is told to go and get the devil and chain him up and throw him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. It, it's not Gabriel, it's not an archangel, it's not Michael, it's an intern. It must be because, you know, it's kind of like, hey, what? Oh, you, get over here, go down there and take care of him. Why do I, you'll forgive the silliness with which I um, explain that, but what that speaks to is this that we overstate, and we do err greatly when we do this, we overstate the strength and power that the enemy has. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. He is not God's equal. He's not the opposite of God. He is a created being, and he is limited. And in fact, we're told, and I didn't mean to go this far into it, but maybe it'll be germane to our understanding of what's before us tonight. When we see Him, and we will see Him one day, we're going to be stunned. So much so that we're going to look at Him, the Bible says, and we're going to say, that's who deceived the nations? No way. Way. And then conversely, we're going to behold Jesus, and we're going to be shocked, because we're going to behold Him, see Him, as the Lamb that was slain. I almost have this image in my mind that we're going to wince, because that's what we're going to see. And it's going to be so shocking to us to see Jesus when we finally behold Him. Well, this is what chapter 2 is about, and it's very interesting because this vision that Isaiah is given, this message that Isaiah is given, that's recorded for us here tonight in chapter 2, is a message of hope. And it's for God's people, and not a moment too soon. It's like God saying, after chapter 1, 
after this horrific indictment of the judgment that awaits, God is wanting to give His people hope, because this too awaits God's people, yet future, during the kingdom age, during the millennial reign. You know what I love about God's Word? is that it doesn't matter where you're at in God's Word, that's where you're at in your life. Because God's Word's alive. And it always speaks to that situation in your life, no matter where you're at in God's Word. It speaks to where you're at in life. And would you agree with me that the world today is on the brink of despair? Many have given over to hopelessness, There's just seemingly no hope. The future looks so dark, so bleak. And God rushes in, and He wants us to have hope. He's the God of hope. And God in His mercy and grace, and this is what I believe is the reason that we have chapter 2 in our Bibles. It's like after the prophetic judgment, In chapter 1, God wants to remind us, not only is He a reasonable God, He's a merciful God. In chapter 1, He says, come, be reasonable. Let's reason together. You've been found guilty. Your sins as scarlet. Let's reason together. I want to make them white as snow. I want to remove them as far as the east is from the west. Can we settle this? Can we reason together? I'm a just God, but I'm a merciful God, and I'm a loving God, and I love you so much. And this is a message of hope beginning here in chapter 2. And one more thing before we jump in, and this is important, because if we miss this, then everything else is skewed in our lives because of our understanding of the goodness and the character and the nature of God. Never think for a moment that God takes any pleasure in judging the wicked. He takes no delight in it. You know, when our kids were young, we used to try to, in as much as we were able, explain to them, contrary to what they believe, that we don't wake up in the morning and get together over coffee and think to ourselves, wow, how can we discipline our children today? Oh, I can't wait to give them a good spanking. No. I'm contrary to what they think. As earthly parents, do we take delight? And then, you know how we say it, like children actually even believe this. This is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. The kid's going, really? Really? I don't think it is. I don't think it's going to hurt you more than this is going to hurt me. No, it, it's, not, it's not easy. But why do we do it? Because of our love for our children. How much more our Heavenly Father. He takes no delight in judging the wicked. Well, hang on to that. Let's jump into this. Verse 1, Isaiah 2, the word that Isaiah 
the son of Amal saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days, the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Wow! Did you notice the, the eagerness, the excitement, the anticipation? Come on, let's go! It's a get to, not a got to, during the millennial reign, during the kingdom age. And oh, who's going to teach us? The Lord. The Lord's going to teach us His ways, and we're going to walk in His ways, and we're going to walk in His paths. Verse 4, He shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This alone should give us hope in a world riddled by war and threats of war, as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, that in the last days prior to the rapture, that there would be nation rising against nation, there would be wars, many wars, and there would be many threats of wars, as some translations render it rumors of wars. Now beginning here in verse 5, we're going to read about the judgment of God during the seven-year tribulation, and it precedes the hope of the second coming, which is really what this vision, this message that's given to Isaiah is emphasizing and highlighting. This is probably as good of a time as any to just give you a snapshot of the timeline prophetically. The next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the church, and it can happen at any time. That's the next prophetic event. After the rapture, then the seven-year tribulation begins. The rapture of the church has to happen. We're going to see about this more in a moment. The rapture of the church has to happen before the seven-year tribulation, because when the seven-year tribulation begins, then God shifts the focus of His attention to His people, the Jewish people, Israel. And so after the rapture, you have the seven-year tribulation. The rapture does not start the seven-year tribulation. The seven-year tribulation starts when the prophecy in Daniel 9.27 is fulfilled. What's the prophecy in Daniel 9.27? Very detailed prophecy, by the way. We talk about it a lot in our weekly prophecy updates. It's when the Antichrist, 
confirms, enforces. In the Arabic language it's the same word as in the original Hebrew. When it says He will confirm a covenant, it's the Arabic and Hebrew word ikbir. Ikbir is along the lines of akbar. You know in Islam they will say Allahu Akbar. It doesn't mean Allah, by the way Allah is not synonymous with God, that's the name of their God, not the title God. It's the moon God, the God of Islam, a false God. So when they say Allahu Akbar, they're saying Allah is greater. Not great, greater. When I was a young boy I would play this card game, this Jordanian card game with my grandfather, and he would always beat me. (laughs) And uh, I think maybe one time in all of those years I beat him one time, and I think it was a fluke. I don't know what happened, but but he would always say to me in Arabic, Ana Akbar, my score is greater. Akbar. See now, why is that important? Because if you believe that whenever they say Allah u Akbar means Allah is great, how much is the complexion of that change when you say it's not great, it's greater? Because the inference is greater than who? Who? Oh, sounds a little bit like Lucifer, who declared that he would ascend his throne Akbar. Ikbir, superior, greater, higher, spectacular, better than the Most High. That's the idea behind it. So whenever you hear that, that's what they're saying, is that their God, Allah, is greater than any other God, namely Jehovah. So, That's when the seven-year tribulation begins, when this covenant for seven years is made ikbir, greater, superior, spectacular. And then we're told in that verse, Daniel 9.27, that the Antichrist at the three and a half year mark will commit an abomination that we know from Matthew 24 will cause desolation and this at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, and then the Jews will realize this is not our Messiah. Our true Messiah would never commit this abomination. Some believe it'll be the sacrificing of an unclean animal in the Holy of Holies when the Antichrist, according to the Apostle Paul in Second Thessalonians 2 says, he will set himself up in the temple of God and declare himself to be God, and demand to be worshipped. This at the three and a half year mark. So you have Daniel 9.27, which comports with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it happens at the three and a half year mark. When you get into the book of Revelation, and again we're, for many of you this is review, again I don't want to take too much time on this, but it's very important to understand the timeline. Because when you go to Revelation, we're told that for the last three and a half years, God will protect His people Israel. And that is the purpose of the seven-year tribulation. It is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. So the Jews will realize at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation that this is not their Christ, their Messiah, 
This is the false Messiah. And they will flee, according to Jesus in Matthew 24, to the place that's been prepared for them. And Jesus says, pray that your flight, when this happens, this abomination, and He refers to Daniel 9.27, by the way. He says, when you see the abomination that Daniel spoke of, that's Daniel 9.27, you flee and pray that it's not on the Sabbath, because in Israel, transportation, particularly in Jerusalem, for those of you that have been to Israel with us, remember standing in front of a Shabbat elevator on the Sabbath? You're standing there going, this elevator isn't working. There's a reason for that. It's Shabbat, the Sabbath. Everything shuts down. You don't use that elevator because it's the Sabbath. So they have the the non-Jewish elevator over here. That's for the Gentiles and the Arabs and the Hawaiians and the... <laughs> and that elevator works, but everything shuts down. Pray that your flight's not on the Sabbath because there's no transportation. And also, by the way, pray that it's not during the winter because transportation is infinitely more difficult. And also pray for those women that are pregnant with children, with infants, because it's a flight. They flee when they realize that this is not their Christ. This is at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. And then at the end of that seven-year tribulation, that second three-and-a-half-year mark, where many believe, present company included, that God protects them in a place called Petra in modern-day Jordan, the rock city. Some of you have been there. My wife and I had the privilege to go there. Amazing place. Actually, it's believed, and when we were in the Old Testament studying through Job, that that's actually where Job lived, in this rock city, this amazing rock city. And God, for the last three and a half years, is going to protect His people, the Jewish people. And then, the second coming, at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And then after the second coming is the millennium, that kingdom age, that 1,000-year period of time. So rapture, seven-year tribulation, second coming, millennial kingdom. Then after that is the new heavens and the new earth. The book of Revelation, it's actually a divine outline. In chapter 1, I had no intention of going this far, but let's just end with this, and then we'll resume our Bible study already in progress. The book of Revelation has a divine outline in it. In chapter 1, John is told to write that which he has seen, that which is now, and that which is to come hereafter. Metatauta in the Greek, meaning after these things. In other words, John, you're going to write past, present, future. Chapter 1, past. Eyewitness of Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and glorified. That's chapter 1, past. Chapters 2 and 3, present. That's where we're at right now, by the way. Revelation chapters 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches, the church age. Chapter 4, verse 1, very interesting verse. John is told to come up hither at the sound of the trumpet, and he's caught up to heaven. That's the rapture. (laughs) Oh, by the way, after chapter 4, verse 1, the word church is not found anymore. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, the word church is found 19 times. When you get to chapter 6 through 19, that's the seven-year tribulation. You don't find the word church mentioned one time in chapters 6 through 19. Why? Because the church isn't in the tribulation. So the word church isn't going to be mentioned in those chapters dealing with the tribulation. 
You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from Isaiah with Pastor J.D., make sure to really think about what you're hearing and what God wants to speak to you today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly to grow in relationship with God and others. And if you're in or near the Kaneohe area, come visit us. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Isaiah together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com or come find us on social media. There's a link to our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook pages on our website. We encourage you to follow them so you can stay up to date with all that's happening at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe and In Spirit and Truth. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for listening to In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old wind.